Merry Christmas. My name is Holly Postma, and I'm going to be reading to you from the book of 1 John. You can follow along on the screens or in your Bibles. We'll be reading. Oh, do I need that? Should I start over? <laughs> we'll be reading from the book of 1 John. If you would like to open your Bibles or you can use the screens behind me. Um, chapter 5 from the English Standard Version, and um, I'll be reading a few selected verses. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, he is the true God and eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. <clears throat> How many of you were here last night also? The faithful are few. We had a great crowd last night. It was beautiful. I really like the whole candlelight thing. It's so pretty. Thank you for participating in that. Uh, my name is Peter, and I am one of the pastors here at the church. And today we're going to conclude our series uh, in the book of 1 John. We're here in chapter 5. And next week, uh, I mean on January 8th, we're going to start a new series in the book of Colossians. And we're calling it Christian Theology. And we're asking the question, what do you believe? We'll dig into the basics and the foundation of the Christian faith, examine it, turn it over. And uh, <clears throat> I was just reading uh, this week, just a couple of days ago, how you never, ever grow by learning uh, just the new and exciting things you've never heard. You really grow from the things you've already heard, things you already know, as you uh, dig deeper into it and realize how uh, truthful and pervasive um, what you already know can be. So I'm excited about uh, digging into Colossians, and that starts January 8th. But today, faith, hope, and love in the book of 1 John chapter 5. The story of Jesus, Christians believe, is the true story of true love. All other truths that have been and will always be in service of the only truth that never fails, and that's love. Love will always remain, and it will only be love that remains. Nothing else, no other truths you've learned, really, in that sense, uh, exists for itself, but it exists to serve the purpose of love. Everything else will pass away. Eventually, it will cease. And if we could have love in its fullness, we would live forever. Love is your flourishing energy, intention, power directed towards you for your good. We will live forever is what John says, what John calls eternal life. And so I want to talk about that. Today, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 reminds us that love 
never fails. And now these three remain, verse 13, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Paul goes on in this chapter to explain that prophecies and principles and truths, all these things will eventually cease. You realize Paul is saying there will come a time when there will be no more faith because we will see. There will come a time when we will not have hope anymore because hope will have been realized. You're not going to be hoping for something more at some point. That's something that is the final, the ultimate reality of everything is what the Bible calls love. How do we get there? How do we get to love? And the book of 1 John concludes by showing us that there is a pathway to love, a kind of pattern that needs to be repeated over and over again uh, in microwaves, but one macro pattern that, has to, that you have to journey through to get to love, what John calls eternal life. And there's no other way to get there except by this pathway or pattern. And John calls this pattern water, blood, and spirit. Water, blood, and spirit gets you to eternal life. Love and life as God intended. Uh, I love this uh, story that's told by C.S. Lewis. He says that at, uh, one day, it was a bright, sunny day, he walked into the tool shed in his backyard. And uh, surprising to him, as he walked in, the door behind him sort of just shut closed and it disturbed the air in the tool shed. And there was all this sort of dust that got kicked up as the door shut. And there were some slats uh, in the tool shed. And a beam of sunlight was coming in through the slats of the tool shed. And the beam of sunlight lit up all of the dust that had just been kicked up. And he said he walked over to the beam of sunlight and he stared at it. And when he looked at it, he saw the chaos, the dance of the dust particles in the beam of light. There was no pattern to it. There was no rhyme or reason, just dust in the sunlight. And then he began to lean closer to the beam of light that was coming in. And instead of looking at the beam, he got so close that he began to look along the beam. He looked up along the beam, and he saw through the, two, through the cracks in, the, in between the tools, two slats, and then he saw past the green leaves of the tree outside until the bright and brilliant sun blinded his eyes momentarily. And then he says, when you look at the beam, all you see is chaos and death. But when you look along the beam, you see the brilliant beam of light, the source of life itself. The moral of the story is, what looks like chaos and death, actually, if you trace along its lines, it leads you to life. Look along it and not just at it. And this is the pattern we see here. If you just look at your life, you will only see chaos and randomness, surprises, 
patterns that don't connect at all, instances that just happened at random places in your life, meaninglessness, none of it actually leading anywhere. But if you look along your life, if you dare to have the kind of perspective and begin to understand the work that God's doing in your life, throughout your life, then you begin to see not just meaningless and chaos, but a kind of pattern. And it will lead you all the way along the beam of it to the source of life itself. And that's C.S. Lewis's essay. Verse 6, 7, and 8 says this. Let me read it for us again. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Now, if you read this for the first time, you have to ask the question, what does that mean? What in the world is John talking about? He's so cryptic. What is water, blood, and spirit? Now, you have to kind of study the whole Bible, understand the purpose of water uh, in the Bible, uh, understand the meaning and the usage of blood and what spirit means. And uh, uh, I've scoured many sources on this, and there is... Uh, actually quite a bit of agreement on what these things mean. And here's what it means. I'm going to just give you the shortcut to it. Water, blood, and spirit describe the pattern of life that we all must walk if we are to experience life along the beam. Water, blood, and spirit is life, death, and resurrection. Born of water, blood shed as you die, spirit in you to resurrect you, to work in you, to redeem your life. Birth, death, and resurrection. If you just look at your life, you're going to see meaninglessness. You know what looking at means? Looking at means you're just staring at the thing itself, isolated from the context, and you're looking at the thing itself, isolated from the intent of the author of life. If you begin to look along your life, then you begin to see a little bit more context. A storyline begins to emerge. And in your heart, sometimes if you look along your life long and hard enough, you can begin to feel your heart stirring as meaning. A picture begins to emerge. And you begin to understand that maybe it's not all just senselessness. Maybe it's not just bad things happening. Maybe it's not just some random good things happening. But maybe, maybe there is an author. And maybe this author loves you. Maybe this author has good intentions for you. Maybe this author has been at work in your life your whole life. Maybe every day of your life has been numbered along with every hair on your head. Maybe. <clears throat> if you look just at your life, 
meaningless. If you look just at death, all you see is pain, the ceasing of life and loss. If you just look at the uh, idea of resurrection, all you see is theory and wishful thinking. But if you put it all together and you look along the line that forms as you line up these three things, you can begin to see a pattern that leads to eternal life. Here's what water, blood, and spirit means in our daily life. In your circumstances, in your circumstances, in anything worth doing or enduring, like it could be a marriage or it can be a job, it can be a relationship, it can be a life dream that you have, some goal. For you to obtain permanent value from that thing, you have to endure the full process of life, death, and resurrection. You are going to go through this uh, start period when everything is new and everything is possible and it's beautiful. And then you're going to hit some walls. Some challenges are going to come up. Some headwinds that you didn't expect. Some factors you could not have calculated for. And then you begin to enter a season in that situation that even a business writer like Seth Godin calls the dip. You begin to enter into the dip. And you begin to feel like life and forces are against you. And you're not strong enough. You can't make it. This isn't how it's supposed to be. You begin to feel confusion and disillusionment through the challenges in your life. But if you can get through the dip, if you can break through the walls on the other side of that, there's permanent change, transformation, character building that happens to you. When you persevere, it leads to character. And that can never be taken away. You are changed forever. Water, blood, spirit, life, death, and resurrection means that in our church life together, it's not going to always be going up and to the right. But we're going to go through really hard challenges as a church. If I can get honest with you, it's been a really challenging year, 2016. It's finishing for me uh, with incredible challenges in our life together as a church. It's been a really good year. I've met new people coming to our church every single week. It's been so fun, encouraging, lots of good things, but really hard things too, small things, big things. But that is the normal pattern of life that God invites us to embrace. Life, death, and resurrection. And somehow, there's a promise that on the other side of this pattern, there is something that John calls eternal life. This is true also uh, if you are married in your marriage. Your marriage is not going to always be going up and to the right, but it's going to have its seasons. No amen on that statement? <laughs> Maybe you're in it now. Maybe it's hard now. Life, death, and resurrection in friendships. 
Maybe for some of you, marriage is ending. Maybe marriage ended for you this year. Life, death, and resurrection. How many of you had challenges in your jobs or careers? Life, death, resurrection. How about in your Christian faith or in your spiritual journey? The process necessitates that we experience life and then go through death and on the other side of it, resurrection. All of us, from small things to big things, we give birth in faith, believing, and then we die in hope, and then we're reborn, incorruptible, changed forever. I want to invite you to think about some challenging things that you have experienced this year, 2016. What was hard? What was hard for you? Do you believe that in the midst of difficulty and maybe even disillusionment, that on the other side of it, there is some promise for you? Does God really care about us? Is he really working in us? Is he engaged in the redemption of our personal lives? Does he see us? And I think the answer is yes. My, left, my own life, personal life, testifies that if I just look at the thing I'm in right now, I can't see it. All I see is chaos and pain. But if I'm willing to look back, do a retrospective on my life, I can begin to see and believe that God has been working. Here's a simple way for me to know. Do I want to be the person I was five years ago or do I prefer to be the person I am today? Which you do you like better? The you five years ago or the you now? Are you wiser now? Do you have more character now? Are you a more loving person? More wisdom? More gracious? More accepting? I think most of us would say yes, that in the last five years, there's been some work done in us. And you never want to go back. Well, what happens if you were to physically die? Does all of that energy that's been poured into your formation just disappear? Where do you go? What happens to your consciousness? What happens to the human life? And John says, no, death is not the end, but it's just a door. And somehow you get on the other side of it to continue what you've been living. On the other side of death is eternal life. I believe that. Uh, for the Sung family, it was a really challenging uh, fall. Uh, personally, for us, you know, Susie went back to work. I, I know most of you probably knew that already. But she hadn't worked outside the home in uh, 13, 14 years. And it was a real big adjustment for us. And some of you older folks are going, there's a lot more, Peter. <laughs> but for us, it was, it was challenging. And I know it's a first world problem. But here's how, it, how we felt it. As a family, we lost about 50 to 60 hours of Susie's uh, life a week. Um, I kid you not, just by Susie going back to work, I literally lost, I just counted, 11 pounds. 
I'm just hungry more. And I'm eating less. I have what a lot of men have. It's called refrigerator blindness. You open the fridge, but you don't see food. Either you see nothing or just ingredients that have nothing to do with each other that that cannot possibly be put together. And then I just close the fridge, eat a couple of chips, maybe steal one of the kids' cheese sticks, and then I'm done just to tide me over to the next meal. Just looking at the clock, wondering if Susie's going to come home today. I started doing laundry, started doing the dishes. It's a terrible way to live. (laughs) On the other side of that, is there something? Yeah, you know this, right? It's nothing. On the other side of that, there's going to be some good things. We've been uh, talking about the year, and we wouldn't change a thing. We're really glad for the challenges that uh, we've all faced as a family, and we're the better for it. I really believe that in little micro situations, I can see this pattern of life, the excitement we felt before when Susie was offered this job, and we thought, oh my goodness, we've been thinking, wondering for the last two years if and when and how Susie was going to enter the adult world again. And then this came, and we were... Uh, just all for it. We went for it. And then we experienced the, uh-oh, what have we done? And then the daily grind of the reality of it set in. And then we started regretting, doubting, feeling disoriented. Here's a phrase that uh, used to be one of my mantras when I was a director of church planning for our denomination, The Covenant. Uh, this is what we taught every single church planter at every training session. This was principle number one. We said, if you have truly been called to give birth to a church, if this is what God has called you to do, this is the first and last thing you have to understand about how that works. You want to hear the phrase? This is it. You will be broken. You know, people come to assessment centers and they pass. And then they come to training centers with their, with their teams. And they get so excited. And they think after one week of training, they're ready to go and plant a church. It's like as useful as premarital counseling. <laughs> Do you know how unhelpful premarital counseling can be? Because people aren't listening. They're just excited to get to the altar. They're not really asking questions yet. They don't feel it. And so I'm a really big proponent of postmarital counseling, about six months to a year in, when they're actually now wanting help, wanting a little perspective. Some of the idealism has fallen away, given way to disillusionment or confusion about who this other person is. You will be broken. Another way to think about life, death, and resurrection are three, these three words. You live a life where you're oriented. You know where your bearings are, right? Which way is north? It's that way. You got it, okay? It's that way. This is north, right? Behind me? That way. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> that way. 
I grew up in New York City. We, nobody in New York City knows north, east, west, south. We don't use those terms at all. Just go two blocks this way, and there's a raised pizza on your right, and then you're, you're there. So that's kind of how we talk. Uh, but oriented, you're oriented, and then something happens or something changes, and then you're disoriented, and you don't have your bearings anymore. And then you are reoriented. Now you have your bearings again. Now you understand. You're fine, and then you're surprised, and then you're made stronger. What is it like? What is each season like to go through life, death, and resurrection? What is that journey like? Do you see that pattern in your life? And do you see that every turn, no matter what you thought was going to be life forever, had to go through a season of dying, a season of disorientation? And then on the other side, there is something even more valuable than the good thing you had before, and that's called resurrection or eternal life. By faith, you trust, and then in hope, you push through, and then you are reborn by God's love. This is the testimony of water, blood, and spirit. We know the story of Jesus, that he lived the life that we could not live. And then he died the death we should have died. And then he was raised incorruptible. And my prayer for you this Christmas season, as we close out the book of 1 John, we've been talking a lot about love. I really like the way John ends it, that love isn't just a warm hug. It's not just fluffy. It's not just all positive. It doesn't just feel good. But it's gritty. And it has a grip on us. And it's going to take us and lead us through the valleys through the shadows of deaths. That's just the way life works. If you are not a Christian and you become one, your life is going to get harder. It is not going to get easier. I don't know where you are at personally uh, in your season of life, but this pattern is going to repeat over and over and over again. This is what I want you to remember. If you are in the grip of God's love for you, his whole goal for you is for you to be made incorruptible. Eternal life. And the way to get there is life, death, resurrection. Life, death, Resurrection over and over and over again. Water, blood, spirit. Water, blood, spirit. Water, blood, spirit. If you feel like your life is stuck, if you feel lost, if you are in a place of confusion or pain, if you feel hopeless, if you feel down and unmotivated, if you feel uninspired, if you feel challenged beyond your strength, if you feel like my whole life just has been hard, 
I'm sorry about that. But that does not preclude the love of God. It actually is evidence of God's proximity to you. I want to read you some verses pertaining to God's work and proximity to you. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Are you brokenhearted? Are you crushed in spirit? God is near to you. You know, you would think that when your life is going really well and you feel, quote, unquote, blessed. I got to tell you, so many of my Facebook friends who are not Christians use this word blessed this Christmas season. They feel blessed and they wish, they send their thoughts and they hope that we're blessed too. And you would think God's with that person because they're succeeding in life. But the opposite is true. When things are going well in our hearts, we're actually experiencing more distance, more, less dependency on God. We feel more empowered in and of ourselves. And God knows our hearts, and he says, I'm actually nearer to you when you're down, when you feel distraught. Psalm 51:17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. I was thinking about this passage here, this word despise. Why would the psalmist think that God would despise a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart? And I realized that I actually do despise those of us who are hurting in the sense that it's uncomfortable for me to be near you when you're in pain. And one of the ways that I create distance when you're hurting is I try to placate, uh, you know, your pain. I try to undermine it. And I say things like, oh, it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. Or relax. Everything's going to be fine. I'm praying for you. These are all ways that I'm attempting because of my own discomfort with suffering and pain. And I don't understand the life, death, resurrection process enough. And I want to short circuit it in your life. And what I'm really saying is, I despise you when you're in pain. And God says, no, 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 no. I don't just call or text or send you a card when you're hurting. I actually come over and I draw near to you. I'm nearer to you than anyone else in your life. You are most precious to me when you're hurting and vulnerable. When you need me the most, I am there. I will not despise you. You don't have to understand your pain or explain it to me. I'm close to it. I feel it more than you feel it. In fact, I've taken it on in my own death. And along with me, my promise is to resurrect you, incorruptible. Isaiah 57, 15, I dwell in the high and holy place. That's true. And... Also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced. This is describing Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. 
Job 5, 17, 18. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. You will be broken because God's desire is to heal you. In order for God to heal you, he has to break you. He has to do a profound work in you that only God can do. Only God understands how you have been formed. He knows who you are. He knows about all your quirks, all your uh, dark corners that you don't even dare broach. He knows all the longings in your heart, your desires. He is absolutely fully committed to bringing you through the journey. And one day, when we are standing before him, he will put his arms around us and he will say, welcome home, you made it. And he disciplines us not because he's punishing us. All the chastisement or punishment has been poured out on Christ. And what he has for us is nearness and the promise of eternal life. The message of Christmas and of 1 John is that God is love. And by his love, he will break you so that he might heal you. May he wash us with water. May he cleanse us and cover us with his blood. And may he fill us and indwell us and empower us by his spirit that we may have eternal life. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we give you thanks for the season that we are um, at the apex of today, uh, Christmas. We know that Jesus' birth was special. It's amazing to think that we can be witnessing a baby and being told that that's God. Come to us in the flesh. But it's not just a happy occasion. Looming over this little baby's life was uh, a really hard and tragic, unjust life. Abandoned by his friends. Unfairly tried, tortured, and executed by the governing authorities. And then abandoned and forsaken on the cross, naked, hanging in shame. And then three days later, the resurrection came. The Spirit of God entered the dead body of Jesus and raised it from the dead. Life, death, and resurrection. And God, we pray for this pattern to persist in our life as well so that we may experience the joy, the joy 
that Jesus has entered into. God, we are fragile, we are weak, and we are uh, doubtful. We are fickle. God, I pray that you would hold us tight and carry us through this pattern that we must walk. Life, death, resurrection, water, blood, spirit. Give us this promise today on this Christmas day. God, we look ahead to 2017. May we see your spirit's presence and work in our life this year. Our lives belong to you. We trust you. We turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.